When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at this participation in communion, um, looking at the sacrificial system of the ancient world and how that relates to communion today. And I hope that it gives you some hope for greater communion with God and greater communion with other people. This teaching uh, from 1 Corinthians on the Eucharist, on communion, again, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. It's a Greek word that Jesus describes what Jesus did when he took the bread and gave thanks. It says he, this is not a word that is a religious word primarily. It's a word for giving thanks uh, in Greek. And if you were Greek, and you talked a lot about being thankful, you would say the word Eucharist a lot. It would have nothing to do with communion or wine and bread. But with Jesus, um, but in English, it means our Christian service of Holy Communion. There's a lot of names for communion in the Episcopal Church. Uh, Our prayer book has a number of them. Holy Communion is probably the most common. The um, the Eucharist or the Mass is another one um, that is used by Episcopalians in our prayer book. And it comes from this moment on this night, the night that Jesus was betrayed. I love the Eucharistic prayers that say that. Um, sometimes they don't each prayer, we have a, a variety we use on Sundays. Um, each one has a little different wording when it comes to this part. Um, but some of them say, on the night he was betrayed. Some say, on the night he was handed over to suffering and death. But I always like the ones where it says, on the night he was betrayed. Um, it really captures the moment of what this meal um, has a possibility of meaning for all of us. Because ultimately it is about love, it is about relationships, it is about the connection and communion we have with God and with each other. And without which, if one of those things is not there, uh, we lose everything in this meal. Um, Connection with God and the connection with each other. And Paul's teaching on it comes in the context of severe unloving behavior in the Corinthian church, that uh, people are gathering for the Eucharistic meal or what might be called the agape feast, and they're not sharing their food. There are people from different economic backgrounds, economic circumstances, rich and poor, fortunate and unfortunate, gathering together in this Corinthian church, which is an amazing testament to their diversity Um, While churches often will have um, racial diversity and other things, uh, economic diversity might be one of the most difficult um, and most um, invisible diversities of a church. And yet they have it. And at these communion meals, people aren't sharing. And Paul's teaching on communion that we embody and try to live out 
in our church um, comes from these these um, te- the, these admonitions of this church. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Um, this might not be something that we think of um, as something we struggle with in 21st century Christianity, the worship of idols. It certainly was something that Corinthian Christians had trouble with. All, all uh, I don't know how to word this correctly, all food preparation is religious and always has been, um, especially when it comes to eating animals. Um, this is something that humans have done for a really long time. And you may have heard uh, stories of Native Americans who will thank the animal and honor the animal's life that is killed for them to eat. But this is not just a Native American practice. This goes all the way back uh, to the dawn of time where humans recognize the value of this food, um, especially in times of great scarcity. And so the, the ritual sacrifice and slaughtering of an animal was always a religious event. And the, the priest or the um, religious leader or head of the family, which was often the same person, most of the Roman emperors were priests um, and would have led sacrifices in their temples uh, in that way. And, and that's true of just about every other uh, leader down through history until you get to democracy. In democracies, we have our president do things like pardoning the turkeys at Thanksgiving, hosting um, state dinners. That is sort of the echo of this um, ritual. But the, uh, the feast would happen and the leader of the community would ritually slaughter the animal. And then there would be um, a big grill and they'd grill it and it'd be a barbecue, and then they'd portion out the meat based on status, based on where people fit in the community from top down. Um, and this is true of, of tribal societies and in civilizations like in Corinth. And probably there's echoes of it in, the, in, the, in restaurants today, nice restaurants versus cheap restaurants, fast food versus the steakhouse. Um, the way that this this is done with different cuts of meat going to different groups of people. Um, And so the Eucharistic, the the sacrifice that was being done um, in Corinth was a religious thing. They were done in temples and you could buy the meat. And this became a really difficult conundrum for early Christians. Should you buy the meat that is sacrificed to idols and eat it? Um, Is this something you can do as a Christian? It was a really thorny problem because on the one hand, Christians said that idolatry was empty, that they were just praying to wood and stone and there's no real reality behind an idol. So why not buy the meat? It's a little bit cheaper than the other meat that might be available. And the other argument was um, when you buy and eat that meat, you are participating in the sacrifice of that of that animal to on behalf of that idol, on behalf of that false god. And so you are worshiping a false god, an idol, when you eat that food. And this is the deep understanding that people had with food. We eat while we watch TV, 
We eat while we surf the internet. We eat while we do a lot of it. We eat standing by the sink. And I say we, I mean me. Um, <laughs> I'm just talking about myself here. Um, we don't really have ritual meals, except for maybe at Thanksgiving, maybe or Christmas, or sometimes we get that. And even then, um, we, we, have, um, we often um, don't know what to do. But this was something that was just a, very much a part of life in the Corinthian world. And so you can see why it was controversial. There's no real easy answer. Both sides have a point on this one. Um, one of the first Christian controversies. And what um, Paul uses to, to show the Corinthians what, how they might think about this thorny problem of how to sacrifice, what, if they should eat the meat, sacrifice idols or not, is to talk about communion. Um, to talk about what they're doing on Sundays and what they're doing in their gatherings, in their homes and churches for communion. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The participation and sharing he's talking about is the word communion. It is the idea of communion. Is not the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? Is it not an identification, a participation in the blood of Christ? Um, The way Paul says this is that you are not just drinking juice or wine when you drink out of that cup of blessing. Cup of blessing is an echo of an earlier Jewish cup of blessing um, from the Passover meal. But then the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Um, Again, that sharing. It's hard to know how to translate that word, um, but it is the idea of communion, a participation in, or a fellowship in. This is really, really deep, um, this connection between the food we eat and what it means for us, and who we we are participating um, when we eat it. In whose life are we participating when we eat it? Um, And then he uses an illustration He says, there is one bread, we that are many are one body, we all partake of the one bread. Again, the one bread is not just the bread that we're eating, but the bread of of God, which has an echo and a participation in bread that came down from heaven. And he goes right to it, back to the manna. Now he's on other magical bread from the Old Testament. Consider the people of Israel and not those who eat the sacrifices. Are they not participants in the altar. So um, he goes all the way back to the the tabernacle and temple of the people of God in the desert and in Jerusalem. When they ate the food from the grill, from the altar of God um, that was sacrificed to God, to the one true and living God, they were worshiping God when they ate that food. So he's saying you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul's making his case very clear that, that what we are doing in communion is an act of worship in the deepest and most intimate way possible. And we could go into then his next argument, which we won't, um, because he also says that sometimes you can eat from the, all, the sacrifices to the idols, um, depending on your conscience. So again, and the part that Barbara read about our conscience, 
um, to prepare our conscience for communion is something that um, we do as Christians and we should be encouraged to do often. Um, and then his final word on, on this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Um, do it all to the glory of God. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. Um, we do not do to the glory of ourselves or to anyone else, but to the glory of God. And so that's what, where the conscience comes in. When we take from this communion meal, when we eat and drink, we are doing it to the glory of God. And that, to me, is one of the ways I enjoy communion. Even though I know that communion is um, sometimes dangerous, the dangers of communion is something that we read today. So we examine our conscience and we say, um, am, I, am I giving all this glory to God? And if we can say yes, then we partake. If, we can, if we're not sure, then maybe wait. Um, I always admire it when people don't take communion um, as a priest. When someone comes up that normally takes communion and doesn't, I always admire that practice because I know that they're, they're working through something, or I assume that. I don't know if it's true every time, but I know that they're taking it seriously and they're working through something. And if that's something you're working through, talk to me about it or talk to someone you trust about it that's a spiritual, uh, spiritually wise person. Um, that's something to work through. It's something to discern. It's something that really communion requires of all of us. Um, because ultimately, it is a union with Christ. And Christ wants us to come to his table. And on this night, on this day, where that table is inaugurated for all of us, a way to communion with Jesus, we celebrate that. Um, aware of the warnings, but more aware of the invitation to commune with God. Amen. Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.